Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Thanks for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. I got this really strange email last night. I need to see what's going on with this mystery file. Hey, it's a map of a town called Ocean Bay. Someone sent these images to you for a reason. I'm so lost right now. When was the last time you chose a direction and followed it? I'm going to Ocean Bay. We don't get many tourists this time of year. Ocean Bay is a friendly town, but we're not that friendly. I never sent you an email. I don't even know you. And why exactly are you here? The map is the reason we're here. Maps help when you're lost. Do you know what a trap street is? Trap streets aren't real. They don't exist. Don't trust anyone unless they give you a reason to trust them. I, I think he's dead. How could so much damage happen to a human body in such a short period of time? What the hell is going on here? From the creators of Strange Air, this is Trap Street. So maps can have secrets. Yes, maps can have secrets. Follow and hear new episodes of Trap Street anywhere you listen to podcasts. It is the 16th century. All Japan is at war. Feudal warlords called Big Names, rising from the night cast, have carved the nation into warring states. Chivalric virtue, Buddhist moderation, friendship, and loyalty fade and fall before the hunger for conquest and glory. The grand prize? None other than Japan's unification under a single master. And then, perhaps all of Asia is next. Thousand Arrows is the story of knight commanders, Buddhist teachers, spy masters, peasant revolutionaries as they establish themselves and direct the course of history. Thousand Arrows, published by Galileo Games, by Brennan Taylor and James Mendez Hodes. Hey everybody, welcome to The Crit Show. Uh, We are an actual play podcast where we play Powered by the Apocalypse games. Uh, We're currently in our first season, which focuses on Monster of the Week, but today we are here to play a new Powered by the Apocalypse game that is in its alpha phase, Thousand Arrows. A few months back, we were at Gen Con doing a live show of our podcast, and we happened to meet Brennan, uh, one of the creators of Thousand Arrows, and uh, we chatted a little bit, and that resulted in him asking us if we'd be interested in playing his new game. So, here we are. This is the alpha stage of this game. Uh, They are currently working on it. 
adjusting areas, adding areas, flushing areas out. So we will come across some things uh, for anyone out there who's ever played a game in the alpha stage where we may just have to make a decision on the fly because the rules don't dictate yet exactly what we should do, or it might be a little unclear, or it may be a section that the book says, you know, currently being written. And so what we are trying to do is not test every rule in the game. We're just here to give you a flavor of the world they have created and some of the really dynamic elements they have added. Before we get into the actual character creation, there are a couple things that uh, it asks for the Game Master to read through. So we'll go through those first. First off, the content warning. This is a game about war. All characters must face and even participate in brutal violence. Although the text description of the horror of war is not very gory or graphic, blood and death are everywhere. The game's interpersonal drama involves relationships and sex. Romantic and sexual relationships between main characters are not at all required, but we find them to often enrich the game. Samurai sometimes commit ritual suicide. It's not a major part of this quick start game, but it can happen. Feudal Japan's power dynamic fosters rampant classism and sometimes leads to abusive relationships. Religion figures prominently into the game, especially Great Vehicle Buddhism, Shinto, and Catholicism. Conflict between these religions is limited to the marginalization of Catholicism. However, different Buddhist denominations compete aggressively with one another. Samurai culture runs on a strong gender binary, though Thousand Arrows heavily downplays sexism. Players with preconceived notions about Japan and Samurai Way may, unwittingly or not, bring other difficult topics to the table, especially racism or sexism. Setting. The Japanese Warring State Period, 1467 to 1603. This game neither expects nor requires familiarity with Japanese history or samurai media. Still, it's normal for players to worry about doing justice to characters from faraway places and times, with whom they may not share any ancestry. Your characters aren't so different from other eras, rich or powerful people. We will be playing this game as if it's in translation. Uh, we will speak in our normal colloquial way at the table, uh, without accent or stilted formality. The information herein contained in the game, plus an open-minded willingness to make mistakes and learn from them, are all you need to play Thousand Arrows. Generally speaking, ancient Japanese society had structured and specific norms for ability, gender, sexuality, age, ethnicity, class, and religion. Nevertheless, historical accuracy, especially in wartime, does not restrict choice about your character's identity. Play who you want to play. Thousand Arrows can tell many kinds of stories, but today we'll start with a war narrative. The player characters at this table are significant commanders early in their careers. Even those who aren't skilled generals change the war's course through magic, martial arts, diplomacy, trickery, or investigation. So with those couple of ideas in mind, we're going to move on to character creation. So the first thing you guys need to do is pick a role. Tass? I'm looking at foot soldier. They essentially are um, higher up than just random no-name grunt on the ground. You know, they're kind of in charge of their section, so to speak, if we're using the game terms here. And, uh, you know, they're just kind of a lot of what you expect. They are sort of the first line. They are, um, you know, well-trained. You know, they've got a big array of kind of weapons or different um, styles that you can choose from. I think I'd want to go themed here, like I'm going to pick, you know, a certain kind of weapon. And so all of the entire section that, that I'm at the command of. They um, have the same similar kind of style and uh, motif. What about you, TJ? I went ahead and went with the retainer. It's basically, it's a person of a noble heritage who has been trained their entire life to protect the loyalty and the, the personage of the main, like, 
head of household, as it were. In this case, uh, it would be the Oda clan. Basically, uh, it's what you would think of as the atypical samurai, the person who serves uh, some type of leader. And so that uh, usually means like a battlefield commander of some sort, or like a, uh, a house retainer, someone who helps out around the castle and everything. So I've decided to go with the, the retainer that actually is more of a samurai battlefield commander type. Nice. Cool. Jake, you. Uh, I'm going to be a shaman. So uh, I am a magic user. I deal with gods and spirits and monsters uh, and things of that nature. So my uh, abilities are sort of supernatural and magical in origin for the most part. Still a good like fighter, still a good martial artist, but that's kind of the hook of the shaman is the, the supernatural abilities, the magical abilities. Okay. So TJ has already said his allegiance. He is going with the Oda clan. Uh, what's everyone else doing? Uh, yeah, I think that kind of would make the most sense for mine as well, so that we have that connection. Um, even though he's quite clearly probably outranking me, um, we would be fighting for the same person, so we'd know each other in that way. Uh, so yeah, Oda for me as well. Um, I'm actually going to be a knight errant, uh, or a ronin in this case. So I don't really have an allegiance, which I've realized too late. It says that you play the Ronin if you want to play this game on hard mode and that was probably not the best choice but I'm committed to it now and the piece of information actually that they have before they pick their roles and their allegiances is that the story involves Lord Oda and Lord Akechi and a conflict that is brewing between the two Lord Akechi does serve Lord Oda but there has been some rumblings that Akechi feels like that Oda may be past his time uh, and so that is influencing the allegiances that they pick because obviously it hooks them into this particular story. All right, so next you need to decide a name and a look. Uh, when it comes to names, there actually is an appendix uh, that if you don't want to create a name, that you can roll some dice to generate a name. Um, I have a name that I wanted to go with, actually, um, just because it's one of my favorite Japanese actors. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with Hiroyuki. Uh, after Hiroyuki Sanada, um, who's in all sorts of stuff. Look him up. He's amazing. Um, and is that your full name? Oh, um, yeah. We had some lists of essentially like um, surnames uh, or, you know, I think clan names, group names. I'm not sure exactly the right family terminology there. Family name. There we go. Uh, and the one that, that I liked was uh, Hayashi. Okay. So you didn't roll to create any part of your name? I did not. Oh, okay. I went with the name Maeda Akari. Um, Maeda was one of the names that you could actually choose from a list of family names that were part of the Oda clan. And then I uh, went online and I found a really cool name and I thought, Akari, that's a great name. Cool. And Jay? Uh, I actually did roll for a name because I thought that was kind of an interesting tidbit that that was an option. Basically, how this works is you roll 2d6 and it gives you a character and then you roll 2d6 again and it gives you a different character. So I got Ikei. E-K-E-I. The, the Knight Errant, the Ronin, don't have like a family name. They don't have a surname. Instead, they have a nickname of some kind. And you can also roll for that. So I rolled for that, and it's a, it's a nickname that is a color. So I went with the gray, um, because the overall hook of this dude that I haven't really gotten to is that he's kind of a neutral, like, trying to stay out of things. I thought gray was a good choice for that. So he is Ike the Gray, which I, like I didn't mean for it to rhyme, but it does. Uh, for my look, uh, I actually rolled on this, and I ended up getting really close to exactly the look that I was hoping for. So there are these uh, four sections, essentially, which are the eyes, the stance, the dress, and then something kind of specific to each of the classes. So when 
and I rolled for eyes, I went with flashing eyes. Um, so I had this kind of thought of him being kind of a positive energy, like the flashing is an intimidating thing. It's kind of that gleam in the eye of somebody that's excited to be there and excited to be a part of things, you know, kind of more inspiring. Oh, it's not like a strobe. No, no. (laughs) And then the next was stance, which I ended up with rigid stance, which I like the image of doubled up with the next one for colorful dress is what I went with. So I think he especially and his uh, unit, they are all very brightly colored. They really stand out. He's the one that wants to grab the attention of whoever they're fighting. So all of his kind of chain mail and weapons and such are a burnt orange with uh, sky blue accents. And uh, all of his men have something similar, but not quite necessarily as bright. So he's got that rigid stance where he can, you know, kind of come up on the hill with his weapon and, you know, sort of command attention. People go, what in the world is this? And and come after him. Which, uh, with the last thing that he had is a person personalized weapon. So what I am hoping I can do here is, um, I think this is options a little later that we'll talk about too, they are all glaive wielders. Um, So I like the thought of him having this glaive that is personalized in that through the haft of the glaive, there are actually these holes that have been cut into them so that when the glaive is spun, it has this kind of high-noted whistle or like a kind of a keening sound um, that adds a little bit of disturbing, you know, aura to him trying to command attention. Like a deadly didgeridoo. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The fatal flute. Beautiful. Uh, I went with different things, obviously. No, I just decided to copy you. (laughs) (laughs) Can I copy your homework? (laughs) Exactly. No, uh, I think a lot of these descriptors really tell how like these characters present themselves within the game and gives the uh, the Tenchi or the Keeper a lot more fuel for him. So like, for instance, my eyes are distant eyes. So maybe I have more of a, I can take in more of the battlefield because I'm looking at the entire picture and not just like what's in front of me. Or like you leave them at home sometimes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're so distant. Yeah. And then uh, for my stance, I chose the ready stance. So I... I feel like there's really no surprise attacks on this guy. And that could be like surprise attacks whenever it comes to like not just combat, but, you know, somebody comes up with some bad news. I'm just going to be like, no, I got this. Yeah. Like yeah. He's just composed all the yeah, time. Ready like to that. like deal with any situation. And then are um, you trying to give yourself a die bonus? I am. Describing <laughs> to me how your eyes work. Okay, good. Yeah, Go that's on. right. And then I went with weathered dress because, again, on the battlefield a lot, uh, down with the, the grunts, as it were. Uh, with the men to, you know, get them to fight for me. You know, I want them to respect me, to see that I can get my hands dirty and not just some lord in a castle who doesn't do that. Nice. And then uh, my personalization thing, it actually asks about a hat. And um, so I went with a straw hat. And I, I figured it's a very elaborate straw hat. It isn't just like, you know, a bunch of straw that's been kind of spun into what looks like a hat. <laughs> You went window shopping for yours. That's right. Yeah. I went to the straw hat store. I'm interested to see how you spin this. Uh, it's actually like a pot pie hat, like from uh, the 19, you know, 30s, whatever straw hat. That's what it is. You know, like a Jay Gatsby. Yeah. Straw hat. Like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was ahead of their time by about 400 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's probably just uh, a straw hat that goes along with my weather dress. And again, gets me in good with the men. That's interesting. So you are this leader in heavy armor on a war horse with mm-hmm. a straw hat. Yeah. 
on top of your helmet. <laughs> Probably on top of my helmet. Yeah, I don't know. Just hot glue. We'll see it. <laughs> so my character has wise eyes, uh, an unorthodox stance, practical dress, and uh, his fourth descriptor was his hands. He has calloused hands. What does unorthodox stance mean? Um, I feel like we'll get to it okay. in, a, in a second. Okay. It's, it is, again, something more to do with like his role and his lineage and stuff. So, All right, so now we're going to do the step of rate your rings. The rings uh, in this game correlate with elements, earth, water, fire, wind, and void. And they are essentially your stats in this game. Earth is the material world, wealth, crafts, objects. Water is physical fitness, martial arts, athletics. Fire is social skills, emotion, leadership. Wind is intellect, sense, insight. And void is darkness, philosophy, spirit, magic, and religion. So the way that you rate your five rings is that you take your role and you take your allegiance. And each of those will walk you through what you get to add or what you get to subtract based off of the role or the allegiance. Uh, and then at the end, you have one point that you can shift around. So let's go through everybody and talk about their role and their allegiance and how that affects their stats and what that takes them to. Uh, sure. So uh, Foot Soldier gives me a plus one to earth and water. Then I can subtract one from anything. So I subtracted one from void. I figure I'm not very magic-y. Mm-hmm. Clan gives me a plus one to earth and to fire. So that gives me a two in earth and one in fire. Um, and then I also subtract one from anything, which again, I'm just going to subtract from void. Okay. Uh, so I'm kind of dump statting that one. And then we get one switch. I think that I am um, just being a regular foot soldier, even kind of a sergeant or, you know, leadership role there, that having two earth is just a little too much in the material plane. I don't think he's a particularly wealthy oh, guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's more resourceful. Like, I know where to get this. I know who to talk to. I'm in good with whatever. So if I need to kit people out or any of these other moves that, you know, I'm okay at that, but not super great. So I'm going to use my one plus and minus to take one away from earth and put that in water. So I'm a little more fighty. Okay, so ultimately, what does that leave Hiroyuki at? That puts me at earth plus one, water plus two, fire plus one, wind zero, and void negative two. So for my role, the retainer says that I get a plus one to earth and fire. So I took plus one to earth, plus one to fire, and I took away from void because I decided I'm not very magic-y at all also. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, in the Oda clan, the ring asks us to add one to earth and fire again. So basically, I have a plus two to earth and plus two to fire, and then to also take away from any of the the rings. And so I took again away from void. For my switch, I decided that since he is a battlefield commander, that he needs to have some martial combat uh, that I would take away from my wind, which makes me just slightly less insightful, but a little bit more stronger because I'm going to add that to water. Okay, so where does that leave Akari when all is said and done? Akari is at earth plus two, water plus one, fire plus two, wind minus one, and void minus two. Jake? So the shaman automatically adds one to void. 
Uh, so that's plus one void. The knight errant uh, subtracts one from earth and fire. And then the knight errant gets to distribute three points among whatever they want. So basically I start at plus one void, minus one earth, minus one fire. I took the three I get to distribute and I put one each in wind, void, and water. Uh, and then I spent my one adjustment to take one more out of earth and put it back into fire. Okay. So where does that leave a K at when all is said and done? Earth minus two, water plus one, fire zero, wind plus one, void plus two. All right, so next we're going to do uh, select special moves, and you get to choose a move from your clan, and you also get to choose a move from your role. Uh, sure. So for Hiroyuki with my role, the foot soldier has one called Formation Fighter that I'm going to go with. Uh, so when I order the troops, which is specifically a move, with water, shoulder to shoulder with similarly armed soldiers. On a hit, you inflict a troublesome circumstance on your foe per your armament. Uh, on a nine or lower, your section incurs a negative circumstance. Uh, on a seven to nine, both. Um, so the middle success is I get to impose something, but something's imposed on us. And I've got my kind of list of what these things are uh, based on what weapons I would have. Then for the clan, what I'm going to go with is Nobunaga's Ambition. Before I show them how I feel or resist or indulge your attachment, which are both moves, I may choose to forgo rolling and proceed as if I had rolled a seven to nine. So I automatically get a mixed success. Oh, okay. I decided to go with uh, one of my favorite lines from The Lord of the Rings. You shall not pass. Ooh which is a great move that the retainer has, and it's when you interpose yourself between someone and a threat, roll with fire for NPCs and bond for PCs. On a hit, you redirect the threat to you. And on a 10+, plus, you pin down or tie up the aggressor, and they must endure to focus on anyone but you until the situation changes. Uh, you can raise the alarm so that nearby guards or passersby come running to see what the problem is. You can impress them to increase their bond with you by one. So like if I wanted to impress one, one of these two guys i could just tie him up yes yeah, just tie him up <laughs> you expose the attacker or the aggressor to a counter strike so then on a miss your efforts are earnest but ineffective and the damage or trouble hits you and you're charged and then uh for the oda a special move i get to own a castle in this case oh and there are a couple of things that you can choose from to decide how your castle sort of plays out there's like you know secret passages or okay. it's uh, highly defensible on a mountain side mm -hmm. or whatever i decided to go with i have a castle with beautiful gardens performers a master chef and is impressive to guests no however it is also hiding some secret passageways rooms and escape tunnels you know in case yeah especially in that sweet garden but you also get to choose one thing that's sort of bad about your castle mm. in this case i went with because i have zero to negative two void it's haunted by a malevolent spirit oh. so <laughs> i don't know how to deal with it unfortunately uh, i need to call ghostbusters akari's haunted castle <laughs> <laughs> it's my new favorite anime so for the shaman i chose shrine keeper uh, you care for a holy sanctuary providing you a modest living uh, this thing has a whole bunch of like lists of things that I choose from. So it has a wooden or stone gate and an object and then some options or natural feature and then some options. I went with natural feature, ancient tree, enshrining a god or gods. Choose three to five for ambiance. And there's a whole bunch more options. I went with beautiful wooden structures, trees and shade, fish, monkeys, and hot springs. 
<laughs> choose two special features and a bunch more options. I went with healing waters. The hot springs heal you mm-hmm. and a mystical ban against violence. So it is very much a neutral zone. You couldn't hurt someone here if you wanted to. Uh, and then the knight errant, I took a very particular set of skills, specialize in a weapon, not armor or horses, or learn a fighting style from another play sheet. You start the game with your favorite style's armament. If you want to design your own fighting style, give it a name and answer these questions. I did that. So uh, it is named Flow Style. Uh, The questions are, what environments favor your style? I decided that trees and just kind of like tall vertical vegetation, like bamboo would also count. Um, But like, yeah, like tall, narrow trees or forests or like a bamboo forest, things like that are the good terrain for this. What arms and armor does it use? Uh, It uses claws, the claw weapon. So it is a, a strap that goes around your palm and has claws like on your palm on the inside. Uh, which you can use to climb things quickly and you can use to like catch weapons and and damage them and disarm them and things. Um, What uncommon insight into them, the arms and armor, does your style teach? Uh, And so for that, I decided that the claws basically, instead of just using them as a weapon, you use them as a, a movement manipulator. So moving through like forest and bamboo and stuff while you're on the run, essentially hooking the claw into a tree next to you so that you kind of whip around it. You learn the insight of being able to move more quickly through like trees and forests by using the claws to aggressively change the direction of your momentum. Like you just hook into something and that's kind of your pivot point now and you essentially swing around. And the same thing on like tree branches, like like using them to gain elevation and things. So, so you climb like a monkey and move like a fish. Yes, exactly. Non-combat. Monkey fish style. It's the monkey fish style. It's okay. monkey fish style. Yeah, it's the monkey fish style, but that doesn't sound good. So It sounds so good. What are you talking about? For all intents and purposes, it's monkey fish style. It's, it's, yes. It's a, it's a mish or a funky. A funky oh, the funky style. A funky mish. Funky style. I like um, funky style a lot better. What unexpected lessons about non-combat situations has your study conferred? That sort of touches on that he's studied the monkeys and the fish, like to learn all these things about moving through trees and climbing and stuff. The non-combat situations kind of come from like the fish in terms of just go with it, like go with the flow. It's very much like water principle, like Bruce Lee water principle. You know, in combat, you you can yield or you can crash and you do it when it's appropriate. And that just kind of applies to his life as well. Like don't try and fight a battle that there's no sense in fighting. Just yield when it makes sense to yield and then crash when it makes sense to crash and just, you know, go with it. I got to train with Monica Bell, who is the first female disciple of Kato Suzuki, uh, who teaches a theatrical movement style based off of rhythm and pattern. And when she went to train with him, every morning she would see him outside looking down into a koi pond. And he asked her one day, finally, like, do you know why I watch the fish? And she said, no. And he said, because the movement of the fish is how the movement of the fighter, of the performer, of the thought should be. You never know where they're going to go, but when they move, it makes perfect sense and there's no wasted energy, but you never know where they're going to go until they're already going in that direction. If the enemy can see where you're getting ready to go, if the audience can see where you're getting ready to go, it's a problem. I've always found that story fascinating. So I love that you're using the koi fish as part of this changing direction and coming back on the enemy when they least expect it. Yeah. And so this is what feeds back into when you asked what the unorthodox stance is and why it's because he has pulled it from watching monkeys and fish. And that is how he has created his fighting style. Because he's got two tails 
He's got the monkey tail and the fish tail, oh, and so no. it makes him stand funny. Yeah. And are they now? Wait, are they side by side? Or uh, I think it's up and down. Yeah, yeah. I think they're stacked <laughs> up and down. All right, so now you need to choose your material and your sections. Oh yes. Um. So for my material, uh, something that I just sort of get is it says that I wear armor with my lord's blazon on it, and I have a uh, conical metal or leather hat called a jingasa, uh, which smells faintly of cooked rice since it doubles as a bowl. <laughs> um. It says if your boss wants, you can carry a tower shield, but I don't think that's really my section style. Um. What I went with for them, uh, which just matches along with the personalized weapon that I chose is the glaive. And so what the glaive does for me, in addition to just the basic things that you can do in single combat, it lets me uh, attack horses uh, effectively. I can deliver a crushing blow, uh, or I can terrify my enemy with the whirling blade, which is kind of where I got that idea for the whistling glaive. Um, then I also did the short sword, which helps with some little things too. I can draw it quickly, um, and I can use it to block or parry uh, incoming blows. So yeah, that's kind of just the materials that go along with that, and that matches my section, which are also foot soldiers. I believe it's about a hundred. That's they- correct. The symbol next to it uh, shows you how many people you get. Uh, a whole circle is around 100. A circle with a smaller circle in it is around 50. A small circle with a dot is a dozen. And a black circle is broken or routed. Oh, intriguing. Um, so, yep, uh, I have that. About 100 soldiers that are uh, also wielders of the glaive. So, for my materials, I went ahead and I just got the traditional long sword. However, I also get uh, the choice of a truncheon or a weighted chain. So I went with the weighted chain instead, uh, which is great because that also uh, gives me a few extra special sort of combat maneuvers, as it were. So with a weighted chain, I could baffle my enemies by swinging it around and they're like, what the heck is going on? And then I can also entangle people as well. Um, Um, And I think it's worth pointing out, too, that uh, the way that weapons work is that they all, and we'll get to moves here in a little bit, um, but when you engage someone in one-on-one, one combat you roll that move and there are certain reactions you can create in that battle and each weapon type with the exception of the long sword because it is kind of the generic uh, go-to everyone has as a backup weapon uh, all the special weapons add different types of results to your attack and so that's what they're listing off now are the special ones that come with their chosen weapon correct and then um, uh, we also all get a combat knife it looks like as well oh yeah 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 i did forget about that tiny knife that we can use to help supplement i assume our our weapons uh for armor, I just have the basic, I assume, samurai armor, except I probably won't have too much of a helmet if I've got a uh, straw hat that I'm wearing around. Then I also get a sweet tower shield, which uh, actually gives me an advantage against things like arrows and then also arquebuses, which are the sort of muskets of this time period. And then I also get a war horse, which also gives me war horse special moves. Uh, in this case, uh, I can do a hit and run. I can shock unprepared infantry, and then I can cross distance and obstacles. And I think it's important to point out, so the way this game works, armor does not have a specific effect uh, on the kind of damage you take, but it does give you advantage or maybe disadvantage when you are in scenarios. Um, This game uses uh, 2d6, but they also have an advantage and disadvantage system. So if you're dealing with, say, TJ, who has a tower shield, if he's being attacked by archers, he would roll with advantage, which means he gets to roll 3d6 
and remove the lowest. And so armor in this game has an effect on advantage and disadvantage, and then also just has some flavor effect when you're describing what's happening to the characters and their surroundings. Uh, and for my section, I get to choose either bannermen or pages. And bannermen are like these high-ranking samurai who are commanders and personal guards uh, swearing fealty directly to me. Uh, and they carry spears, long swords, wear armor, and ride war horses. Or I get to choose pages who would have short swords, who would be young, helpful, observant, and stealthy. Well, I decided to go with the bannermen because I really like the idea of just riding out with war horses. So we're just going to screw up some people. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Good. So yeah, bannermen. And I get about 12 or so of them. So the shaman's materials, uh, I get a catalpa bow and arrows and a short, straight, double-edged sword called a sarugi. But the uh, knight errant makes me divide the amount of material I get in half. So I only get one of those things. Uh, the knight errant would also let me sub out for a standard long sword, short sword, or quarter staff. But I'm going to stick with the sarugi, which stats-wise is equivalent to a short sword. So like Tass said, it uh, allows you to draw faster and block or parry. Uh, and then because I created a fighting style, you get to choose the arms and armor that come with that as well. So the arms that come with that are the claws I talked about before, which let me scale an object swiftly or catch and damage a sword or other light weapon. Uh, and then the armor is just kind of a light like scale mail or chain mail um, that he essentially wears underneath like a robe like a shaman robe. So it's not like concealed armor. It's still over a base layer and it's still visible, but it just kind of denotes that he's not primarily a warrior. He is primarily like the shaman. Nice. So no helmet, just like just sort of core body protection. No, no head protection, no extremity protection, really. My section is Shikigami, familiar spirits bound into papercraft models to serve you. What? You are psychically connected to them, able to share their senses and speak through them. They either remain invisible and incorporeal or adopt animal shapes no larger than owls. That's and I get so about good. 50 of those. Good uh -huh. Lord. So I've got, an, I've got an arsenal of Just origami spirits. A what, was, what was your like uh, your other choices like on that? Uh, for the shaman, my other choice was a monster friend, an intelligent, mostly good-natured, monstrous creature. Mostly um, good-natured. Mostly good-natured. Like <laughs> okay. The knight errant, I could have had a uh, a group of rogues that took orders from me, or a village full of suitors that were vying for my affection. <laughs> <laughs> so they were all... They were all really good. Yeah. Um, oh but I, I really like the imagery of, of the sort of Kubo aspect of the paper craft. All right, so the next step is to introduce your characters and rate attachments. This is essentially a, a plus one that you connect with somebody uh, so that you kind of have a bond to them and it strengthens your connection with them, but you can also break that bond to make a very striking moment happen and lose that bond with that person. I really love this section, the just the bonds and kind of how it fills in who we are. Um, so I have three questions. Um, the first being... Who exceeds your station yet heeds your counsel? Uh, and I went with uh, TJ's character, Akari, for that. Um, you know, I think he's this well-established sort of samurai retainer. He's got his own castle, but we're on the field a lot. Uh, I think we know each other mostly from that, him kind of giving out orders and directing the battle while I'm in, amidst the battle, kind of directing from the ground. And uh, so we've kind of got a good back and forth there. Uh, so we've connected well there. Um, he knows that, you know, in the moment I, I can see some stuff. I've got okay insight to... 
you know, what's happening in the moment. And he goes with that. For my next one, it was who underestimates you and yours. I think I went with a catchy for that. You know, again, he's a much higher up. He's this uh, like a sort of a general. I just think he probably sees me as this sort of ridiculous soldier in the brightly colored armor. And why is he doing this? He's trying to, you know, exceed his station and which really isn't the truth at all. I, you know, use it as a tactic as opposed to trying to gain anything out of it. But I don't think he sees it that way. So he's kind of probably had some resentment in that. Um, So my justification for having a bond with that is has always been kind of working one way or another to prove that I'm worth my station and that I'm doing a good job. The last was whose orders do you follow? And that is going to be Oda uh, Nobunaga. Um, so, you know, he is the the leader of all of this, the family and, and the clan. And, and ultimately, I go with what he's going to say, uh, which leads to the the idea of our drives. The one that I picked for that based on the clan that you pick and mine was loyalty. That's my biggest thing is that I want to prove that what I'm doing is what I want to be doing, that I don't feel like I need to push other people out of the way to get a higher status. I'm loyal to whatever this clan's agenda is. So that's kind of the the focus for Hero. The three questions I have are, who is your superior? If they're a PC, you get a plus two bond rather than just a plus one. Well, I'm more superior over both of these two in every way, shape, and form. So um, <laughs> I wasn't able to get those plus two bonds, unfortunately. <laughs> to be modest about it. Yeah, to be modest about <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, so I decided that my superior is uh, Nobunaga uh, Oda. Uh, so I get a plus one bond with him. And then uh, who saw or helped you commit a disloyal act? And in this case, I think I went with Hiroyuki. Oh, uh, me? Yes, of course you. Uh, so what happened was uh, this disloyal act wasn't against Oda. It was more like against Akechi. Like Akechi is above us, obviously. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he's like second in command if you think about it. But he's still, his ambition is over everybody's at the moment. And I do not like that. And so I found out some information about him. And in getting that information, I had to have you come along with me sort of as like a bodyguard okay. uh, because I knew you uh, from the battlefield. You're you're smart, you're insightful and everything. So you helped me out gathering this information about Akechi. And then whom do you suspect of treachery and why? Why, that would be Akechi, of course. I uh, suspect Akechi of treachery. I definitely think he's going to try some stuff with uh, Lord Oda. And so we need to make sure that he doesn't. My drive is ambition uh, because... Uh, I am a high-ranking military sort of official, and so I just want to climb the ranks, and maybe, who knows, maybe I'll be in charge of the clan one day. So my questions are, uh, who dutifully and devotedly serves the gods by working and worshiping with you? For that one, I chose Akechi. I feel like that question at first sounds like a positive thing, but in my mind, this is actually like he's doing it in a bad way. Like, again, his ambition is high and he's trying to curry favor anywhere and in any way that he can. And so he's kind of like doing a lot of work with me at my shrine, just trying to get the gods to owe him one, like trying to curry their favor so they'll help him. Mm. And I don't like that. Like your um, spirits came to you and are like, he was blatantly crossing his fingers behind his back. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got that bond with him because I know these things about him and I spend the time with him, but I'm not a fan. Who was with you when you encountered a mysterious monster, ghost, or demon? For that one, I chose Hiroyuki. I imagine that at some point there was uh, an issue with a creature and I wasn't totally confident going after it myself. And I went and asked some of like the foot soldiers, hey, can anybody come with and 
most of them blew me off except for Hiroyuki. He was willing to come help me out. Oh, what yeah. was it? It was a Kappa, a water demon. Ooh. Um, hey. And it wasn't hostile. Like, we didn't have to kill it. You know, oh, okay. It, people had been complaining, and it was more of a nuisance than anything. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be violent or powerful or anything. So I, I pulled some help, and then it turned out to just be more of like a pain in the ass. Okay. How did you help him? Drink it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not made of water. It's it like lives that, in water. It's like that episode saying. of Futurama. Right? <laughs> He's king now. <laughs> I think I helped dazzle and calm down this thing with my initial displays of what I thought were going to be intimidation or awing the thing to take attention. It was like, neat. What is this? And like, I don't know. I don't know if you and become then, buddies with the thing, but... No, but I think we... we that calmed it down enough that kind of distracted it enough that we could relocate it. Mm. Um, so we just took it and we moved it somewhere else that it was not as much of a nuisance to people that it could just kind of exist in its own environment. And then the last one, who has attracted the spirits interest and attention, which ones and how? So that is Oda. I think that Akechi's devotions have been working, but not necessarily with the gods, but with some of the spirits, some of the more malevolent ones. And so I was hearing the whispers that, yeah, Oda's going down. Like, the spirits are going to help Akechi sort of overthrow Oda okay. or do something to him, and I don't like that, so I am, I'm on Oda's side. I think that's actually what you might be doing now, is acting on that. Uh, and then, my drive... Uh, so the knight errant doesn't have a drive. You pick a drive that mattered to you before you quote went rogue. So before you broke your allegiance, whatever it was. Uh, and so for that, I chose face as my drive, uh, which is concerning yourself with appearances essentially. And because he has like no earthly possessions and he just kind of exists on his own now, he doesn't care at all about maintaining appearances. So the way that the Knight Errant's drive works is uh, it starts at a negative three. You have a broken drive. Yeah. You got a broken face. And <laughs> somebody broke somebody <laughs> yeah. broke your face. Uh, so it starts at a negative three to represent your disillusionment with that drive. But over the course of play, if you get it back to a zero, it's redeemed and then it can't go below zero ever again. Okay. So he is so he is disillusioned with the idea of putting on airs and uh, and you know appearances. But if you repair it, you have to admit to yourself that this will always be important to yep, me. Yeah, that I oh, I was wrong. I tried to be disillusioned with this, but this okay. matters too much to me. All right, excellent, interesting, interesting. interesting concept. Yeah, it is. That's really good. Okay, so really, I think the last step of the character creation is just to actually go around and introduce yourselves. Give us the full rundown of who you are, what you are, what you look like. Absolutely. So uh, my character character's name is Hayashi Hiroyuki. Uh, he is a foot soldier, some kind of captain of his section of glaive-wielding foot soldiers. Um, we are under the Oda clan. We, yeah, we are kind of the first line of defense. He wears bright colored clothing uh, and armor, uh, kind of a burnt orange with sky blue accents, um, he's kind of a fun guy. Like he, he's not like a, a bloodlust having fun, murdering people kind of dude, not like that, but that he, he enjoys what he does. He likes his soldiers. He likes the people uh, for whom he works. You know, he tries to be everybody's friend when he can. So, you know, any, any excuse to help somebody out, he's going to try to take that. Uh, he's very loyal to the Oda clan. He does what he's told. He tries to think outside of the box and he's been successful enough to work up to where he is. I am Maeda Akari. He is a retainer for Lord Oda Nobunaga. 
I hold a castle as uh, one of his retainers. So I uh, take care of, I assume, a, a section of his lands and everything to hold uh, for him as the retainer. And so that means I probably enforce his laws as well throughout that section of the land, collecting taxes or making sure that the people are growing crops correctly and that the, the percentage of crops or whatever are coming to the royalty and loyalty of uh Oda. I also control a uh, section of bannermen who uh, I give orders to. They probably relay those orders to the sections of different uh, troops and whatnot as well. So I'm definitely uh, driven by ambition for uh, my Lord Nobunaga. Uh, So I want him to succeed. And whenever he succeeds, I succeed especially. Um, And I'm really iffy about Akechi. I think some stuff is going to go down with that. Uh, I am Ike the Gray. I am a shaman, so I am a uh, shrine keeper. I kind of stay away from the castles, uh, out a little bit more in the in the country and nature, um, and I maintain my shrine. And I am uh, involved with the gods and the spirits and like monsters and the more supernatural stuff. So I practice some magic. I do some martial arts more as like a centering thing, like a an attachment to, uh, I mean, the void part of my stat, essentially. I don't know a better way to phrase it. And so he is kind of moderate. Like he tries not to get involved in conflict. Like he has stances on issues, but he tries not to fight. He doesn't like violence. That's why there's a ban against it at his place. But he, you know, he likes certain people and he agrees with certain policies more than others. So he, he is sort of distrustful of Akechi from spending time with him um, and likes Oda more. He's more on his side, Uh, but he's generally willing to help people. He wants to help people. For the most part, he does that by maintaining the shrine and giving people a place to heal and relax and know that they are free from the conflict everywhere. Um, But that doesn't mean that he's not willing to take sides and do something if he's got to do something. Uh, And then the last thing before we actually get into the game proper is experience and advancement. Mark XP when you roll a 6 or lower. Help a force take an objective or are affected by another PC's attachment move. At 5 XP, advance and reset to 0. When you see a major battle through to the end, advance. So if there's a major battle, you just level up. Nice. So we're looking for fights. We're looking <laughs> for fights. The camera opens on a very dark room. We can hear water dripping, and we can smell must and mildew. In the distance, there's a very dull light that starts to get brighter and brighter. It's carried by Seitu Nobu, one of Akari's loyal servants in Castle Oninogato. He's actually leading Akari, Hiroyuki, and Akei through an underground room. Yes, it's been a couple of weeks now, but every time that someone comes to draw water from this well, something different happens. Whether the room is completely flooded, whether there are voices coming from inside of the well, maybe a bright light coming from inside of the well, no one will come down anymore, and I, I don't think we can deal with anymore. It's, it's very unsettling, sir. And uh, Jake, you know that you are here at the request of Hiroyuki, who you have dealt with on occasion Uh, As you deal with supernatural things, you had a time once upon where you encountered... Well, why don't you actually tell us about what it was that you encountered and how you dealt with it? Uh, So people in like the countryside had been complaining about some kind of entity in the water that was being a real pain in the ass. And they thought like it might be a demon or something. And uh, the way they described it sounded maybe a little beyond my pay grade. I decided that I could use like somebody armed, a capable fighter to help me just in case it 
went off. Uh, so I went and I asked some of the soldiers, some of uh, Oda's soldiers, if they would help me. And um, Hiroyuki was the one of them that agreed to come help. Uh, so we went and checked it out and it turned out to be a Kappa. And it wasn't as dangerous as as I expected. It wasn't as dangerous as I led him to believe, but he still helped me uh, essentially distract it and trap it so that we could relocate it. Um, so we didn't actually fight and kill this thing. We we relocated it to a different body of water where it wouldn't bother anyone. And I did so good. What did you do? I spun my glaive around and made it distracted and think that it was kind of a pretty uh, and interesting display. And so kind of pied pipered the thing along. Great. And so it is kind of a chain of uh, a chain of a chain of friendship here. Hiroyuki, you you were in the army with Akari, and you've heard him talk about the problem that they were having at the castle, that there has been uh, this well um, with some kind of malevolent force involved with it, which of course brings your mind to EK, because you've dealt with a water, some kind of water creature or spirit or element in the past. Uh, and so at your request, he is here to try to figure out exactly what is going on with the well. And then EK also has the additional motivation to be here because of your connection to Oda, that something has been going on in the spirit world. You've been getting hints and feelings about him. And what everybody in the room knows is that within a couple of days, Oda's forces will be here for a dinner. They have just completed a battle further north, and they are returning home. And on the way, they are stopping here as part of the celebration and also to check in with everyone here to see how they're doing. And so Oda and his forces will be here in a couple of days. Uh, but for right now, you are here in the basement of this castle, being led by Seitu Nobu towards the well. Well, Hiroyuki, is your man ready for this? Yeah, I mean... Uh... Last time we had to deal with this, we did a pretty good job. I uh, I don't know, sounds similar enough to me. I think we'll be just fine. Okay, what is the procedure that you will take? It varies depending on what kind of creature it is or what kind of spirit it is. Uh, Typically, I summon one of my allied spirits to get a feel for what's going on, or if it has any information, it can let me know. Uh, It's rare that they are completely in the dark, but... Every now and then they have no idea, and then it's sort of a trial and error process. So the first thing I'll do is call upon one of my familiars and pump them for information, so to speak. That sounds grisly. They're actually friendly. Like, they're they're cool with me. I'm not going to interrogate them or anything. <laughs> Very well. All right. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to follow along and watch this procedure. I like to make sure that uh, it gets done correctly. And Seitu Nobu actually at that hands the torch that he was carrying to Ike and uh, excuses himself and heads back upstairs to continue the preparation for Oda's arrival. Are we pretty close to the well or we have still a little bit to travel uh, There's here? just the door in front of you and you know that the inside of that door is the well room. Okay, then I want to pull out uh, one of my paper crafts and summon the spirit that lives inside of it. All right, so what is the paper craft and what is the spirit? The papercraft is just a flower, uh, and this is the spirit is sort of my just my general eyes and ears. So the flower is just kind of an innocuous an innocuous item, and that's why he's bound into this piece of paper. He doesn't act, but he is present. What are you going to do with him? You're going to open the door and throw the piece of paper in. You're going to set it by the uh, door and have him sneak in, or yeah, uh, because they have the option to be incorporeal mm-hmm. and invisible. Uh, I want to summon him and just have him go through the door. Like I'll keep the flower you know, in my palm out here outside of the door, but I want to allow him to pass through the door uh, and just ask him to get a look at what's going on in there and see if he picks anything up and come back and, and let me know. Okay. 
And so the description of these is that they essentially can be your eyes and your ears that you can see through and hear through their eyes. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So I, I won't ask for advice. I will just look and listen through okay. this thing, actually. Uh, so the spirit goes into the room and you both see a strange look come over EK's face. Um, his eyes kind of haze over as he stands very calmly holding this origami flower in his hand. The spirit passes into the room, as does your vision and your hearing, and you hear wind. The spirit moves over towards the edge of the well, and you can see pulsing, flickering lights. And you hear very distantly the shriek of a child from down the well. The eyes look over the edge of the well. It's just darkness. Uh, I would like to try to commune with, not like the spirits that are at my disposal, like the the other spirits in the ether um actually i want to try to contact my great grandfather mm -hmm. who was also uh a shaman essentially and and throughout his life dealt with the spirits and things like that and ask if this is familiar to him if he has any insight all right uh, is he the only other kind of black sheep in your family like is that someone that you looked up to um or did, are you from a line of people who practiced in this i did not know my great grandfather he he died before I was born, but I heard stories of him, um, and I heard stories from my grandfather, who kind of looked down on him, mm -hmm. um, who you know thought his father was kind of a fool. Um, but from my mother, uh, she told them as like exciting tales. Oh, like okay. she was not she was not part of the tradition, but she always thought it was interesting her grandpa's stories, like what he had done and things like that. Okay, uh, roll commune with gods or spirits. Okay. Why don't you read for us how that one works? So commune with gods or spirits. When you invoke or evoke the spirits, name whom you wish to contact. Gods, ancestors, saints, bodhisattvas, demons, etc. How you contact them, burning incense at a shrine, screaming defiance into a thunderstorm, etc. And what you want to learn. Then roll with void. On a hit, the spirits take note and are favorably disposed towards you. On a 10 plus, choose two. On a seven to nine, choose one. The spirits guide your next move, and it'll be obvious when they do it. Take plus one forward to do it. You secure a small blessing for your surroundings, protection from evil, lush crops, etc. You gain insight into the situation. Tenchi will reveal an important secret. You do not attract malevolent spirits' attention. All right, roll it. Uh, that is an eight plus two void. That's a ten. All right, so choose two. Uh, so I definitely want to gain insight into the situation. Uh-huh. Do I have to ask both of these simultaneously, or is this like hold where I can use the information I get from one to decide how to spend the other? Part of me thinks that you have to choose them at the same time only because of the last option, because it seems like if you don't do this, there's probably a pretty good chance of it happening. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, I wondered if I could gain insight, and if you were like, it's harmless, yeah. then I knew I didn't have to pick that. Or if it is designed to where you've got to cautiously pick it if you want to be cautious. Yeah, because I think it's not necessarily from malevolent spirits that you're aware of, but it may be that idea of sending up a flare gun in the night, what's going to show up. Okay. Well, then I think I will choose that. You do not attract malevolent spirits' attention because I don't know yet that I need a blessing for my surroundings. So I, I don't want to like go call upon protection from evil. I don't know if I'm dealing with something evil, but I would like to be cautious in the in the act. All right. So with your insight, your ancestor tells you that he has seen one of these in his life, but only one. It was a well of sorrow, 
It is a well that is created possibly too close to where someone with great connection to the void was buried. And because of that, the well acts as an echo chamber to that connection, and that sometimes visions can be seen or glimpses of possible futures. And it's very difficult to read them, but he has done it once. And he tells you that the spirits warn that in one of the possible futures, Lord Oda, the man who may unite all of Japan, will end his life at the bottom of this very well. All right, that's it for part one of our time with Thousand Arrows. Again, we are The Crit Show, and you can find us, well, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, And to learn more about Thousand Arrows, we invite you to listen to parts two and three of our Thousand Arrows adventure. And you can also go to GalileoGames.com to find out more information about how to get a future copy of Thousand Arrows for your very own. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Whoa! Check out this place. You'd love to retire here? What is this? Oh God, what have you done? Spaceships. Season two. Out now on podcast platforms across the galaxy.